I've been watching online, and it's not the same online, and I figured it out. It was me. I was here with them <laughs> and helped them. <laughs> I hope you know. Listen, you, God willing, you have to get used to some humor and some sarcasm and some joking. Um, and I, I will say this, you know, um, I, I'm vertically challenged. I'm not very tall. I can take short jokes. It's okay. I'm bald. I can take it. Um, you know, I can handle it. Um, you know, so it's, it's okay. You can joke. You can have fun. You should do that, right? Uh, but of, I will say I have other qualities. You know, I like to work out, you know, and so, you know, I try to stay fit. But out of all the qualities I have, humility is probably the one I'm most proud about. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, you guys are in a series in First Thessalonians. Let me just share with you a little bit of my, my heart. Um, usually when a pastor goes to candidate or pastor, you know, goes to possibly uh, get the job, so to speak, right? I'm just being honest. What usually happens is they have a sugar stick sermon. You know, I'm talking about a sugar stick, you know, one of these things that's been preached like 14,000 times and they haven't memorized. And, you know, and then everybody gets out there and they get enamored and they're oohed and they're awed. And then the guy shows up and when he shows up, like, oh, gosh, you know, what happened to the guy that candidated? Well, he probably plagiarized it anyway. It was just somebody else's sermon he memorized, right? So you guys are in a series. You're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, correct? Uh, and so we're in 1 Thessalonians 1. I'm just picking up where you guys left off last week, okay? And so this is just me kind of jumping in and uh, kind of following where Pastor Richard left off. Someone will be picking up next week. So here's the thing. That means God is sovereign. God already knows what we needed for today. Does that make sense? And so whatever I preach, it's not because I'm picking on people or I pointed something out or what have you. We're just in the passage that we're in today. So we're going to jump right in. 1 Thessalonians 6, uh, verse uh, uh, 1, I'm sorry, verses 6 through 10. I know Richard finished up with number 6. I thought it would help with context. So listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Thessalonica. He says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. They were under persecution. With the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, which is northern Greece there. He says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Think about that testimony. Their faith in God, notice, went forth everywhere, so that we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Amen? Jesus, notice this, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. By the way, it's all about him. Amen? It's all about Jesus Christ. Brief review, uh, Pastor Rich did an awesome job filling you in. So I'll just make it real, real brief. The Apostle Paul was on his second missionary journey, and he comes to the area of Thessalonica. And he uh, meets these people, and he's only there three weeks, three Sabbaths, three weeks, that's it. But yet he had tremendous impact. But he was there three weeks. Why? Because there was tremendous persecution. And so as Paul was there preaching and ministering, a mob of people rose up. The religious leaders rose up and they, they ran Paul out of town. So he was only there for three Sabbaths, most likely about three weeks, maybe a month tops. But 
the impact that they had in the city was amazing. And that's what we're reading about. That this church became a vibrant church. So Paul is run out of town. And remember, there was a man named Jason who allowed the church to meet in his home. And Paul uh, and Timothy and, and the other believers, the, the team that was there. In fact, they put him in prison. They interrogate him. And, uh, you know, and they have to post bond for him to get out of jail. And so Paul then goes to, to Berea and he's preaching there. But listen, these people from Thessalonica, these people were vicious because they even sent the angry mob from Thessalonica to Berea and they ran him out of town there. Paul had to go, you know, uh, which tells me he must have been a strong preacher, you know. I mean, man, he just kept getting run out of town. Long story short, let's kind of bring this to where we are. Some time goes by and Paul sends Timothy back and he says, Timothy, I want to hear how they're doing. And so Timothy goes back to the church there in Thessalonica. And man, the church is on fire. The church is like I mean, it's going crazy. Like, God is blessing it. So much so, the Bible says the gospel went forth all the way up into northern Greece. Like, they had tremendous impact. Tremendous impact. The church was thriving. And he brings this word back to the Apostle Paul. And then Paul then pens and writes this letter. And what we see here is that this was a vibrant church. Last week you looked at the marks of a vibrant church or, uh, if you will, a model church. And I'd like to take just a few moments just in these few verses that we have and point out a number of what we might want to call manifestations. Some manifestations or maybe marks or, if you will, some attributes of this church. What made this church a thriving church? What made this church so influential in that area? Not only the community, but, I mean, it reached. It reached out. By the way, wouldn't, don't you believe that God wants Red Hills to have not only impact in this community, and you already are doing it, but also in other communities, like you're doing uh, out in Panguitch and other areas? Is that not what God has called this church to do? Are you with me this morning? That we have this vision, this vision that that we're going to have impact. We're going to have influence. What an amazing example of a church. Thessalonica, this church, this Thessalonian church is an example of how to do that. How do we do that? And so there's a number of manifestations that we're going to look at. Really quick, uh, verse number six, it says that they were receptive. They were receptive to the word. Paul says, when we came to you, you were receptive. Later in verse number 9, he says this. He says that they were receptive to the apostles. He says, you, you, you received us. Eagerly, you, were, you received us. Now, this might seem you know, like something you just brush over. But can I tell you something? This is one of the manifestations of a thriving church. And that is this, is that we must be receptive to the word of God. They were receptive. They were hungry. They were thirsty. You know, there were times where Paul would go to communities and go to towns, go to cities, and even go to churches that they wanted nothing to do with him. And they ran him out of town. But understand, this core group of people that only had three or four weeks with the Apostle Paul, they were so hungry. They were so receptive. And and they grew tremendously in a short amount of time. They were receptive. They were hungry and thirsty for the Word of God. I, I'm a, a coach. I do coaching. I coach uh, wrestling. I've coached football. Years ago, I used to coach baseball. I kind of played all of those sports. Um, and, and coaching is it, it's kind of a two-way street because here's the thing. You can only coach people who are coachable. 
You know, there's some who are who really want to learn and they're receptive and they're going to pay attention and going to listen. And when you show them things, they're with it. And, you know, and then you have those ones who are just uncoachable. You know what I'm talking about? You know, they're not interested. They don't care. It's, to, you know, and it's hard to coach that person. In fact, understand it like this, that when Paul says they were receptive, church, follow me now, understand this, this idea of communication, it's a two-way street. You know, yes, there has to be someone who faithfully preaches, but people have to be receptive to receive the word of God. Are we receptive? This church was a receptive church. They, you know, when, when Paul communicated to them the gospel and the word, they received it. They were excited about it. Let me just throw something out here. I find this interesting because they were, the Bible says they were receptive. I, I get to say they were hungry. They were thirsty for the word of God. Okay? Psalmist says, the heart as the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsteth after God. Let me just emphasize something important here. This is really practical, okay? And that is this. How does a church stay hungry for God? How does a church stay thirsty for God? How does that happen? How do you create an environment where the church is receptive, where the church is hungry and thirsty for God? Well, let me give you an example or an illustration. Yesterday morning, got up early. Like I said, I like to work out. So I'm like, I got to do something. And so I went over to Canyon View High School. Is it Falcons, right? Go Falcons, all right? So I went over to Canyon View High School, went out on the track, got on the track, and just found a way to do a workout. Start running a lap, you know, in between, do some push-ups, do some sit-ups, you know, maybe some burpees or something, and then run another lap, and I started doing that. You want to know something? First of all, there's high elevation up here. (laughs) And I found out I'm a wimp. I thought, I'm going to run some laps, I'm going to do some push-ups and all. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. I put my little water bottle off to the side. And I got about halfway around the track, and I'm like, I think I might just cut through the field here to go get to the water. I need a drink. I need a drink. Can I tell you something? Listen, do not miss this. You know what makes a hungry church? A church that's active, that's exercising their faith. You see, if we just come in and sit, and if we, forgive me here, but we get spiritually fat and spiritually fed, and we do nothing with what we're receiving, if we're not working out spiritually, then we're not going to be hungry and thirsty. What I have found is this, is that active members, active people who are participating, whether you're a member or not, but if you're actively participating in something far more important than just the church, that's the kingdom work, you're going to be hungry. You're going to be thirsty. Listen to me, every time I got around, I couldn't wait to get to the water bottle because I was thirsty. I needed some more fluids. Can I say this? If you are going to be hungry and thirsty for the word of God, then your faith must be active. Are you with me this morning? Are we tracking? And by the way, communication is a two-way street. Here you go. If you want to get out early, then just track with me. Stay with me. And if I'm long-winded, it's your fault because I had to keep saying it over and over again and you weren't listening. But if you really want to get out, then, then say amen once in a while. I'm with you. I'm tracking. But they were receptive. They were receptive. Here's another one about this church. And this is one I'll spend the most time with. If we run out of time on just this one, we'll stay here. It says that they were an example to all believers. 
They were an example. They were a godly example. It says there in this passage that we read, it says that the word sounded forth all the way up into northern Greece. It even makes another statement. Paul said that their faith in God has gone forth everywhere. What a testimony. What an example of a vibrant church. They were an example. They were an example. The Bible says, Paul says, their faith in God was shown forth everywhere. So I have a question for you. You ready? How can we see someone's faith? Someone might say, well, that person has a lot of faith. A lot of faith. Well, how do we know? Can I say trials, tribulation? Here's something. How we respond to those trials and tribulations. So how do I see your faith? How do you see my faith? That's a very important question. When Paul says to his church, they were an example. And he says, you're an example of, of the faith. You're an example of the word of God. So much so that it went everywhere. But here's the thing. We, we've got to really get, think about this. How do people see our faith? L- l- listen, I can't see your faith. Are you with me? I can't see your faith. You don't know my faith. You don't know where I'm at in my faith. But I can tell you this. James says this in James 2, 14 through 20. He answers this question. How do we see one another's faith? How do we know how much faith someone truly has? And like we said, how we respond and how we live our lives. This is what James says in James 2, 14 through 20. Listen to these words. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith but don't show it? By your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, its deeds, uh, it, it is deed is useless. It's dead and useless, sorry. Now I, he says, now someone may argue. And some people may have faith. They may argue and say, well, I have faith. He says, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I, listen to what he says. James says, I will show you my faith how by my good deeds, action. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. He says, good for you. You see a little sarcasm here? He says, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Recently we had these storms coming through. And the wind begins to blow. Let me ask you something. Can you see wind? You can't see wind. You cannot see wind. Can you see it? No, you can't see wind. But you can see the effects of wind. Are you with me? And the results and the effects of when wind comes through. I don't know about you, but uh, right now we're sitting pretty comfortably, amen, in air conditioning. I don't know about you, but thank God for air conditioning. We have lights. We have electricity. I don't know about you. I don't understand everything about electricity. There's people here that do and can and are really smart, much smarter than me. I get that. But we don't see electricity, do we? 
We don't really see it, but we see the effects of it, right? We, we feel the effects. We see the effects. Can I say, faith is the same way. Faith is not something that you can, you can see, but it's something that if you have it, it should be demonstrated in our lives. Are you with me this morning? And so people cannot see our faith, but they can see our works. This is what James is saying. He says, you can have all the faith in the world, but if you don't have action, if there's not an an action to back it up, to demonstrate it, then it's useless. Paul told Timothy, this young preacher, Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, 11 and 12, I like this. He says this to Timothy. He says, command and teach these things. So that's what I'm doing today. I'm commanding and teaching these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. He says, but set an example. He says, Timothy, set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. You see, our walk needs to back up our talk as believers. You see, what we, what we, we have to demonstrate and live out what we say we believe. What we say we believe has to be real. And it needs to be lived out and walked out. Here's a little saying for you. You ready? Can you handle it? I don't know if you've ever heard this saying, but there's a little saying. It says this. Your walk talks and your talk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Okay? I don't know if you get that. Maybe you'll get it later. Okay? But it's true, isn't it? Don't tell me, listen to me, don't tell me how much Bible you know. Show me how much Bible you're living. Don't tell me how much, how many Bible verses you know. Live the ones you know. You see, the greatest problem in churches and in Christianity, in the so-called church, if you will, of our day is this, is that we are hypocrites. Do you know why people don't want to go to church? Because the church is filled with hypocrites. What blows my mind is they'll go shop with the same hypocrites at Costco and Walmart, right? So what a terrible excuse. I'm not going to church that's filled with hypocrites. Well, you go hungry then. Don't go to Walmart because they're down there. Don't go to Costco because they're there too. Don't play sports. They're there. Don't go to the game. You know, and it's excuse. But the fact of the matter is, let's be honest, it is often true. Because many Christians, we say we believe something, but then it's not demonstrated in our lives. We say we have faith, but we have nothing to back it up. There's no action. There's no action. You see, your walk talks. But listen to me, your talk, listen to me, your walk talks a whole lot louder than your talk talks. People aren't really that concerned with what you say you believe or what you say. They're more, they're, listen to me, they're more interested in what you live and how you live your life. The Christian life is, is practical, not mystical. And let me emphasize this, that making disciples is something that is taught, not taught. I'm not trying to be mean here. But can I tell you something? Many times, and this is where we're failing, where the church is failing. This is why the, 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 the church is struggling, in, especially in America, in the Western culture. And that is this, is that we think that growing disciples and making stronger Christians is that you have to have a formula. You have to, have, you have to sit down and you have to memorize 452 scriptures. <laughs> we're going to bring you into this room. And then we have a little, and then we'll even put a plaque up. It says, discipleship. Discipleship. And when you walk into that room, and when you leave, you will become a disciple. (laughs) 
no way. Listen to me. Jesus discipled his followers by setting an example. He walked with them. He talked with them. He ate with them. He spent time with them. He worked with them. The Apostle Paul worked next to people. He was a tent maker. Can I tell you something? Discipleship is not some silly little... I'm not trying to be mean here. Yes, there's teaching. But it's not a silly little class that's taught in a side room. Discipleship is God's people being an example every day. God told uh, Moses to tell them. He says in, in, in the scriptures you read this morning. He says you shall teach them when you get up in the morning. And when you go out about your day. And when you walk. And when you go to bed at night. Can I say this? That listen to me, Christianity isn't something we put on on Sunday and then we take off on Sunday afternoon when we go home. It is not. Discipleship and being a follower of Jesus Christ is a lifestyle. It's who we are. It is our faith being active in our lives. And understand this, to make disciples means this, is that we live life with other people. And as people come to Jesus Christ, we walk with them, we talk with them, we work out with them, we go on a hike with them, and we hang out with them. And then, listen to me, we pray with them, and we study the scriptures with them. And all of a sudden, they become disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. It's not some little plaque that you get or some little diploma that you get. Can I tell you, listen, it is living life together as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's something that's caught. We set an example of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And here's a big question. What kind of example am I being to others around me? I believe that there are many churches that are filled with practical atheists. What's a practical atheist? If I said to you, hey, there is no God, you would say, you are wrong, correct? Right? No. Yeah. There is no God. There is no such thing as God. You would say that that is blasphemy, that is a lie, that is wrong. But can I say this? Many times what we do as followers of Jesus Christ, can I say this? We say we believe in God, but listen to me, we live our lives as if there is no God. Are you with me? That means this, every decision we make is always a financial decision. Or some, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's always about that. Not walking by faith. Whatever decision we make or how we treat people. I believe in God. I believe in God. But then we're unkind and we're spiteful and we're mean. You see, what kind of examples are we setting? What type Are we living a life that demonstrates that there is truly a God and that we truly do walk by faith? What kind of examples are we living in our prayer life, in word, in our giving, in our generosity? I thought I'd share something with you. I promise I won't be long. I actually preached at this church, so I'm not making this up. This is a Yelp review. I preached at this church. It's up in the outside of Illinois, a suburb. And this is what I think will probably be the best example or illustration of what it means to say that you love God and follow God, but then how you live your life. Listen to this review. You ready? Yelp review. I won't name the church or where it's at. I actually preached at this church. This person writes, what prompted me to write this Yelp here today was the, was, um, 
my recently uh, witnessing how some of the church folks did their witnessing. They do it in a sarcastic quotation. How they did their witnessing for the Lord at a local restaurant. I observed the group solemnly pray, then lament and condemn the evils of the world. While eating like hungry hogs, treating the staff lower than dogs, and leaving an unholy mess all over. Under and around the tables and the chairs they had rearranged for their lunch. Just before they departed amidst the mayhem, uh, one of them did seek and find a clean spot. This person is very sarcastic, by the way. Then purposefully and prayerfully left behind a gospel track. The title page asks, How many roads are there to heaven? Inside was a good, solid scripture leading the way to salvation. Lastly, the back cover of the track was devoted to information about the church and provided a road map to its location. So while there, are only, there is only one road to the Lord in this tract, uh, one would do well to avoid any of the roads leading to the whited sepulcher of this church. You say, well, why are you bringing that up? What I'm saying is this, is how is that church going to impact people with the gospel, with the truth of Jesus Christ, if they're treating people the wrong way? Even when they go to a restaurant, being unkind and treating people unkind. You know, when I worked my way through Bible college, my wife and I were uh, waiters and, you know, waitresses and served in a restaurant. Do you know the one day a week that no one wanted to work? You want to take a wild guess which day no one wanted to work? What day do you think it was? Sunday. No one wanted to work Sunday. You know what they And we would come in. I hated going into work on Monday. I hated it. I'd go into work on Monday because I had to listen for three hours or four hours. Them complain about how terrible the Sunday crowd is. They said they all come in all dressed up. And they're like, and for some reason, all those people, all those people come out of church, they all have kids. They have lots of kids, lots of them. And they have all those little goldfish and Cheerios, and they smash them everywhere, and they smash them into the car, and they smash them, and they, leave, and they leave a terrible mess. But this was the worst part. They said that they barked orders. They treated us terrible. They, they had no respect for us like we were their slaves. And then they went on to say this. They barely gave us a tip, but they would always. They, they would, listen, I'm not making this up. There would be little tracks and gospel tracks laying around, you know, and they would say they leave these things. They're like, how about instead of leaving this, leave a good tip? Can I say, if you're from Red Hills and, you know, and you're out to eat, you better be giving a really good tip. Are you with me? You better be. And you better be kind. And you better be polite. And you better be grateful. And you better be thankful. And if they don't have your order right, you know, be kind. And by the way, it's not the server's fault. They're not the one who cooked it, okay? Or if it's too, too well done, you know, take one for the team, for the Jesus team, all right? Take one for the team. But here it's interesting because here's a church that wants to impact their community. They're leaving and trying gospel tracts, trying to witness. But understand this, they were doing more harm than good. You see, our walk, it talks how we live our lives. Here's some other reviews for you. I'll probably get myself in trouble here, but it's all right. This is a local church, by the way. Here's a review. Do not bring, uh, did not bring the, spirit, uh, the loving spirit I expected. Fights broke out and there was much contention. I'm sure you're going to get people just coming to learn the word there. 
Here you go. Sad excuse for a church. Wow. Can I just say, you say, why are you reading these? Why are you saying these? I'm saying this to, to emphasize that how we live our lives is impactful if, we're going, if we want to reach the community. Are you with me? How we live our lives. You see, we can preach the good news and all these things, but if we're not living it. What other things do we see about this church? I'm going to just brush through these real quickly. This church was a repentant church. It was a repentant church. It says they turned to God from idols. They turned to God from idols. Let me emphasize something, and this is important. It doesn't say that they, it does not say from idols to God. Okay? Repentance. By the way, it's hardly ever preached. (laughs) You hardly ever hear it. But repentance is important. But I want you to notice something. It says they turned to God from idols. You say, why is that so important? Why are you emphasizing it? Because understand that sometimes what we do is this. Is we basically tell people that they have to clean up their lives before they come to Jesus. Before they come to God. Listen to me. You might say, well, that's just semantics, Pastor Joe. No, listen. The way, how we teach and preach repentance is so important. Because this is what we often say. You need to turn from your sin and come to Jesus. Can I tell you something? Eh, Wrong. How in the world can you turn from your sin in your own flesh? You cannot do it without the Spirit of God. How, you know, we're telling people, clean up your life and then come to Jesus. Or I'm not good enough to come to Jesus. And so I'm not trying to be mean or harsh here. But many times we don't even realize what we're telling people. We say, you need to turn from your wickedness and turn from your sins to come to God. Wrong. What did, what did Paul say here? He says they turned to God from idols. The only way that we can... We can have the power to overcome these things is by a supernatural work of the Spirit of God working in us. And He equips us and He gives us the strength. And so many times people have this idea and it's it's sad because I say in, in a general sense the church gives this idea that in order to come to Jesus you have to fix up your life. You have to change your life. You have to, you know, and, and so then they say, well, I can't do that. And here's the answer to that question. No, you can't. But you come to Jesus, and he'll enable you and empower you. Are you with me? And he will transform you. You come to him, let him take care of that. And so they were a repentant church, and they understood what true repentance was. The Bible says that they were a serving church. He says that they served God. I ask a lot of questions. So how do we serve God? What does that look like? How do we serve God? I want to serve God. Someone will come and say, I want to serve God. What does that look like? It's very simple. You ready? If you want to serve God, you must serve people. Are you with me? Right? You say, well, these are just basic elementary. You know, we wanted some deep theology. Oh, no, this is deep theology. (laughs) This is deep you know how deep? Because everyone always talks about the 80-20, you know, the, the 20% of the people do like 80% of the work, you know, all that. How do you serve God? By serving people. Serving people. Finding ways to be creative on how we can serve the city, how we can serve a county. Serving people. Volunteering. Can I say, I think every 
person involved in the, the church and the work of God should be involved in the community, finding ways, whether it's volunteering, coaching. Some guys went filling sandbags, serving people. Are you with me? Serving people. This church was a serving church. This church was a vibrant church because they were a serving people. They served. They found a way to serve their community. And the Bible says they served God. But how do we serve God? We serve God by serving people. Sometimes, you know, years pass and places I've served and worked, they had this idea that the pastor's job was to sit in an office and sit there and just wait for people to walk in, you know? Can I tell you something? That is, that is not what... God has called pastors to do. He has called us to go out and serve the community, to get involved. That's why I, I volunteer, I participate. Try to find any way possible to serve the community so that we build relationships and meet people. And when people are going through difficult times, meeting those needs. Amen? And when you meet those needs and you serve them, then you can point them to a great God in heaven who loves them. Amen? And sent his son to die for them. What did Jesus say? He said, when they, they'll see your good works and do what? They'll see your good works and do what? Glorify our Father who's in heaven. They're a serving church. Oh, may God allow Red Hills to find any and every way possible to serve this community. And then they were a waiting church because it's getting late. And I heard this, if you preach short sermons, you always get voted in. That's what I've heard. <laughs> they were a waiting church. It says, notice this, it's interesting. Waiting for Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The word waiting there is not what we think, you know. You know, like, it's kind of, what you doing? Waiting. It's funny because uh, I'll come out of practice and it's some of those kids who can't drive yet and they're waiting for their parents. Oh, they're so mad. And they'll be sitting out there on the ground. They're sitting there I'm like, what, hey, hey, Owens, what you doing? I'm waiting. <laughs> kind of in a bad mood. I'm like, waiting for your ride? He's like, yeah, I'm waiting. I told them what time they're going to be done and they just won't come get me. They're doing other things. I'm like, yeah, you can't wait to drive, can you? He's like, I can't wait. He just, yesterday, I wished him happy birthday. He got his driver's license. I, was like, I said, you're going to paint yourself blue like William Wallace in, in that movie. He goes, what movie are you talking about, coach? I'm like, oh, yeah, I dated myself. <laughs> How many of you ever seen that movie, you know, William Wallace? What's the name of it? Which one is it? Braveheart, and I love it. He paints himself blue. Dude, when I turned 16, I painted myself blue. Got in my car, and I was like, freedom! Freedom! And I said, you can't wait for your freedom. I said, just watch that part. I might send it to you, so I'll probably send it to him. So he'll paint himself blue and get in the car and just scream, freedom. I've got my freedom. And I'll say, what are you doing? He says, I'm just waiting. Sitting on his phone, waiting. I understand this. Church, followers of Christ. When he says that they were a waiting church, it means this. The Greek language says, actively wait with rising intensity and clarity about what is hoped for. It's an active waiting. As we said earlier, Jesus said this. As you have communion, he says, you do this, you show the Lord's death till he comes. Listen, church, Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen? And he is our blessed hope. 
And so everything that we're here about today is about Jesus Christ. It's honestly, it's not even about just a bow. It's not about any of that. It's about Jesus Christ. Why? Because he said this, we're waiting. This church was waiting for Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. He is the Savior. Amen. Jesus Christ is the Savior. It is all about Jesus Christ. It is not about a religion. Understand this. Listen to me. We listen. The banner that Red Hill should be waving is not about religion. The banner that Red Hill should be waving. Forgive me here, but it's facts. It's truth. It's not a denomination. What people should know more about Red Hills is not what denomination we're part of, but who we serve. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is preeminent. He is priority. And it blows my mind that so many times we allow denomination and things like that to hinder us from doing what God has called us to do. Listen to me. When we get to heaven, there will be no denominations. There's no little secret room back there for the Baptist. Just saying. We're all going to enjoy it together. And may I say to you, listen to me. Jesus Christ is the Savior, not a denomination. Understand that. Not a church. Red Hills cannot save anyone. Red Hills cannot change anyone. But Jesus Christ is the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. Understand this. No pastor is the deliverer. No pastor is the savior. No teacher. No priest. No bishop. Understand this. No prophet. Because there's only one true prophet. That is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is coming again. It is him that we serve. It is him that should be honored and glorified. And this church knew who Jesus was. And they exalted Jesus Christ. They realized it was Jesus Christ that delivered them from the wrath to come. And may we be a grateful people for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And because all that Christ has done for us, may we, listen, may we be that vibrant church that he has called us to be. And if we're going to be that vibrant church, understand this, then we must have a faith that is demonstrated by action. Amen. That our life and our lives demonstrate that Jesus Christ, that he is, he is awesome. He is real. May we be generous and giving and kind and compassionate and long-suffering. May we be peaceful with one another. Amen. Because understand this. I close with these words of Jesus. Jesus said this, by this, by this. He says, by this they will know, they will all know that you are my disciples if you have a radio broadcast. (laughs) If you have a powerful, dynamic children's program. (laughs) If, by this all men will you know my disciples, if you have a rock star pastor. (laughs) By this you will know that all men are my disciples if you have the worship team professional worship team by this you will know here you go by this you'll know that all men are my disciples if you have coffee shops i like coffee shops that's okay i drink the iced tea from the coffee shops and they're great it's a great place to have hang out they're wonderful they're great but that's not how all men know that we're his disciples and followers are you with me And you can fill in the blank there. But, you know, somehow we think all these other things are what's going to point people to Christ. Honestly, you want people in the community to know that Red Hills is a place where where, where Jesus Christ is priority? It's this, that we have love one toward another. Love one another. Amen? And demonstrate that love. And when they see us demonstrating the love of Christ with one another, they're going to say, I want to be a part of that. And all God's people say
Amen. Let's stand together and let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we love you.